You are listening to Understanding Islam on the Voice of Islam. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. كما أرسلنا فيكم رسولا منكم يتلو عليكم آياتنا يتلو عليكم آياتنا ويزكي كُم وَيُعَلِّمُكُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةَ وَيُعَلِّمُكُم مَّا لَمْ تَكُونُوا تَعْلَمُونَ I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed in the name of Allah, the Most Gracious, Ever Merciful. We have sent to you a messenger from among yourselves who recites our signs to you and purifies you and teaches you the book and the wisdom and teaches you that which you knew not. Chapter 2, verse 152 As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah barakatuhu May peace be with you and the mercy and blessings of Allah. Welcome to Understanding Islam, Series 7. In this series, we will be covering the signs and help of Allah for the Promised Messiah. And we will take this from his own words, which is found in the book Malfuzat. Today, I am joined with a few youngsters. So may I first introduce Hanan Ashad, Ikan Ahmed, and Basil Aziz. So welcome all. So first of all, Hanan, can I ask you to read a passage from the book Malfuzat, Volume 10, about the topic we want to cover today? The claim to prophethood of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. I claim that I am a messenger and a prophet. In actual fact, this dispute relates to the interpretation of words when God Almighty converses with a person and addresses him in such a way that in terms of quantity and quality, it should be much greater than with others, and there should also be prophecies in abundance in such converse that that person is said to be a prophet, and this definition is true in my case. Thus, I am a prophet. However, this prophethood is not of the law-bearing kind, which would abrogate the book of Allah and bring a new book in its stead. I consider such a claim to be a disbelief. There have been many such prophets among the children of Israel upon whom no book descended. They only used to convey prophecies from God by which the grandeur and truth of the Mosaic faith was manifested. Thus, they were called prophets. This is exactly the case with this movement. If I would not be called a prophet, then what other word would differentiate me from others who receive revelations? Look, other people also sometimes experience true dreams. In fact, at times, some words also issue forth from their tongue, which are later proven true. 
This is to establish the argument against them so they are not able to say that they had not been given these senses and so they could not understand what claims they, the prophets, recipients of divine revelation, were making. What you should have done is explain to him what type of prophethood I claim. My belief is that the religion in which there is no prophethood is dead. When I say that the religion of the Jews, Christians and Hindus is dead, I do so for this very reason that no prophet comes among them now. If the condition of Islam were also to be the same, then we too would have been considered storytellers. Why would we have considered Islam to be superior to other religions? There should be some distinguishing feature. The coming of true dreams alone is not enough. These can be experienced by even the lowest ranks of people. There should be conversation, dialogue and that too such that is contains prophecies and occurs in abundance and is of the highest quality. Only a single couplet cannot make you a poet. Thus, if someone claims to be a prophet based on only few dreams or revelations, he is a liar. I have been receiving revelations for years and many signs from Allah the Exalted have testified to the truthfulness of my revelations. This is precisely why I am a prophet. There should not be any form of concealment in conveying the message of Allah. Here we have Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, who has said, and I'll just quote part of it for you, that he said, I claim that I am a messenger and a prophet. When God Almighty converses, and a bit later on, greater than with others, and a bit later on, be prophecies in abundance in such converse, then that person is said to be a prophet. So here the Promissiah has explained about what he regards as a prophet. So first, let's get your thoughts. Have you got any ideas? about what you think a prophet is and what's the responsibility or duty of a prophet. Hanan, you want to say something? We all know as Muslims, no one can be a prophet. No one can go outside now and claim to be a prophet. A prophet is chosen by Allah himself, whose blessings are then bestowed onto that person by his angels. So once chosen, that prophet will then start seeing revelations. This could be through dreams, signs, or even visions. After that, he can then go and claim his prophethood to the followers and to the world. So as we know, if that person is a true prophet, his message will become a success. His mission will be achieved. Okay, thank you for that. Basil, you want to say something? So, like Hanan said, the prophethood itself is from the divine and no man on his own can claim that I'm a prophet based on few dreams. Like the promised Messiah said that dreams alone are not a sign of prophethood. But we also have to look at the prophecies this person is making. Another factor to consider about the person making the claim of prophethood is to look at their life before the claim, that whether this person was a true man or not. So, a true prophet from God brings people to God rather than having their own selfish goals. Okay, thank you for that. And Ikan, you want to say something? Like Hanan and Basil mentioned, 
that prophet is a person who is chosen from Allah and a prophet is a person who is chosen for a certain message that would be to spread the awareness of God and the true teachings of Allah the one true God okay great i wanted to get your views and it's important that we understand what is a prophet i mean obviously people hear the word prophet but to know and understand what a prophet is this is very very important now of course when hazrat mazhar glam ahmed may peace be upon him claimed to be a prophet there was an uproar in the muslim community that what what did he mean by this claim therefore it's very important that we understand what he meant so that we can then explain this to others and of course you youngsters you will face this people will ask you this question and it's important that you feel confident enough that you can answer that why is he claiming to be a prophet now when this happens to me when i'm talking to people i will first start off by explaining what is a prophet and the best explanation that i can give is what i normally teach the children and that is a person chosen by allah for the reformation and guidance of mankind now there are three points mentioned in here the first is what you've already covered and this is very very important he has to be chosen by allah if he claims to be a prophet and he hasn't got that authority by allah what would happen obviously god he's representing god and god has made this very clear in the holy books that anyone anyone who's claiming to be a prophet and he's not for me then god will seize him by his love heart he cause him to die or be disgraced so it's not for every tom dick and harry to say that they're a prophet they need that authority from god now of course if someone claims to be a god then of course we don't think that that's possible but because a prophet is a normal human being who has been sent by god therefore anyone can claim to be a prophet and this is often what muslims will say that the holy prophet has warned that there will be so many false prophets that will come so we know this but we also understand that there must be one who is right so yes there will be false claimants but there will be one that is right and so we need to look into what then the prophet is doing so we come to the second part of this that a person chosen by allah so he's been chosen by allah for what reason for the reformation so he's come to reform the people the people have become immoral they they've moved away from god and so he has come to bring them back and for the guidance of mankind so he will get guidance from allah and he will guide mankind so this is the main role of a prophet that he, a he's got to be chosen by allah second he comes to reform the people and third he gets the guidance and gives the guidance and we can apply this to any prophet and this is how we should see and understand what is a true prophet now there's also another point which we need to understand is that there are different types of prophets now maybe you understand what i'm saying or maybe you don't but let me ask you anyway do you know what the two main types of prophets are ikan you want to answer this the first type would be a lobbying messenger that would be from allah and the other one would be non lobbying okay that's correct now obviously when we say a lobbying prophet it means simply that he is bringing a law hanan do you know any prophets that has brought a law 
But yes, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may the blessings of Allah be upon him, was the one that brought the law for the Muslims. Very good. And Basil, do you know any other that spoke law? So, uh, Jesus, peace be upon him, brought Bible and uh, Christianity in, in the world. Okay, a lot of people think this. We'll discuss this a bit later, but actually, Jesus never brought a new law. He came to fulfill the previous law. The law that he followed and all the Jewish prophets followed was the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments and things like this. So the law-bearing prophets, the two famous law-bearing prophets was Moses for the Jews and the Holy Prophet, like you say, for the Muslims, the whole world. Then there's the non-law-bearing prophets and these are prophets like Jesus, like all the Jewish prophets, who didn't actually bring a law, but they followed the law, the previous law. There is actually a third type, which is what we're talking about today, and that is a non-law-bearing prophet who is following Islam, which is for the whole world. So whereas previously it was just for one particular nation, now a prophet can only come, we believe, in Islam, and he's got to be following the Holy Quran. But anyway, these are the two main types of prophets. So let's continue with what Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmad, may peace be upon him, has said in this book. He continued to say, However, this prophethood is not the law-bearing kind which would abrogate the book of Allah and bring a new book in its stead. So here he has mentioned that his prophethood, the promised sires, is not a law-bearing prophet, so he's following the, the law of the Holy Prophet Muhammad and it would not abrogate the book of Allah and won't bring a new book in his stead. This is another thing which we need to think about. Can the Holy Quran be abrogated? There is verses in the Holy Quran which indicate that it can be abrogated. So what do you think? Is this correct? Can you tell me what abrogated mean? Yes, of course. It's important we understand the word. So abrogate means bringing something new. So something which was there is no longer used. It is being abrogated. A new teaching has come, which is leaving that old teaching and you follow the new teaching. This is what the Holy Quran has mentioned. I will read the verse for you. The Holy Quran states in chapter 2, verse 107, I'll just read the English, that whatever message we abrogate or cause to be forgotten, we bring one better than that, or the like thereof. Knows thou not that Allah has the power to do all that he wills. This is what it means that if there was something, a teaching, and then to improve that teaching, to bring a better teaching. So that verse has been abrogated and, or if people have forgotten it, that particular verse, and a new verse has come. So what do you think? Is this correct that the Holy Quran, as it's just been mentioned, can be abrogated? Uh, no, I do not think that Holy Quran can be abrogated. And that's correct, of course, because this is a very dangerous teaching. 
If you believe that any verse of the Holy Quran can be abrogated, then which verse is true? Now the Muslims will say, and in a time of the promised Messiah, and this is one of the things that the promised Messiah actually removed this false misunderstanding, because at that time they were saying that it was over 500 verses of the Holy Quran that was abrogated, or at least five main ones. And the promised Messiah removed all these things and proved that none of them are abrogated. So for instance, one of the main ones that they say was where verses was abrogated was concerning alcohol. The Holy Quran first states that there is more harm than good. Then Muslims say that that was abrogated with the next verse, which says, do not approach the prayers while intoxicated. And then that verse was abrogated so that now alcohol was forbidden. But what the Messiah, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said in this case, that none of these verses are abrogated, they're all still correct and right, that there is more harm than there is good. We do use alcohol for medicine, for aftershave, things like that, so there is some benefits, but of course there is more harm than good, so it's still ongoing. Secondly, we should not approach prayers while intoxicated. It means that we should be fully alert on what we are saying, and it can relate to tiredness as well. We should not go to prayers while we're tired because you may say something, you may abuse God, you may, you may say anything. So obviously you should be in full sense of what you're doing. So it's ongoing, it hasn't changed. And then of course alcohol was forbidden and that is still present today. So this is what we understand, that no verses can be abrogated. That being the case, why then is the Holy Quran saying that there are verses abrogated? Any ideas, anyone? Basil? I personally believe that people abrogated a few verses of the Holy Quran for their own personal benefit or their own personal agenda. For instance, the, the verse relating to, the, to alcohol. Before Promised Messiah, it was said that it is abrogated. And in my opinion, they believe it is abrogated for their own personal use that wanted to drink alcohol. They wanted to commit that sin. That's why they said that it is abrogated. No doubt they want to, they want to justify why they're doing it. Hopefully no Muslims would be drinking alcohol anyway. But actually our understanding is that it's not relating to the Holy Quran. We're saying whatever message we abrogate or cause to be forgotten is relating to the previous teachings, the Torah. And so Allah now is bringing a better message, the Holy Quran. Obviously in the Torah you can drink alcohol, although Jesus himself said that if someone is a drunkard he won't go to heaven. But it is allowed and Jews and the Christians do drink alcohol. So Allah has brought a better thing. He's abrogated that teaching and has brought a better teaching which is now alcohol is forbidden. So this is how we understand it, not that it's relating to the Holy Quran. Because if you say any verse has been abrogated, then as I said, it would mean that the Holy Quran is worthless because what other verses has been abrogated? How do we know which is the right teaching, which is an abrogated teaching? So this is not the case. The Holy Quran, we believe, is complete 
and it's all proper and useful for everyone and not one verse in the Holy Quran is useless and been forgotten or abrogated or anything like this. So our understanding is that it's relating to the previous teachings. Does that make it a bit more clearer for you? You are listening to Understanding Islam on The Voice of Islam, where we are covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed, a peace be upon him, has said this, that he is a prophet, but he hasn't brought any new law. He hasn't abrogated any of the previous teachings. He is following the Holy Quran. And whatever he teaches is the Holy Quran. He hasn't brought anything new. Now, often people will say that he has brought a new teaching. But did he bring any new book? It got to a point where people were moving away from Islam. And promised Messiah his teachings were to get people to bring them back to God. Okay, very good. And Basil? So the whole purpose of the advent of Promised Messiah Islam was to revive Islam, revive the, the previous teachings of Prophet Muhammad wasallam, And he didn't bring anything new, any, he didn't bring any new law or any new teaching. He just was there to revive Islam. Good. Yes, this is correct. Whilst the Promised Messiah wrote over 80 books, it was all based on the Holy Quran. And I often will encourage people, our opponents, to read some of his books, especially the book Philosophy and Teachings of Islam. And when you read it, it's all full of the Holy Quran. So he's not bringing anything new from himself. He is explaining the teachings of the Holy Quran. So Ikhan, as you were trying to say, that there are some misunderstandings, some customs, and things like this that has crept into Islam. And so we see today that some people have very strong beliefs. But when we compare it to the Holy Quran, the Holy Quran is against such beliefs. So how, how did this belief become so set in Islam? And that's just over time that a belief has somehow crept in and people accepted it and kept accepting it until it became very solid. And now the, the Muslims of the day they believe that this is actually what the Holy Quran teaches. So this was one of the main things that the Prophet did. He came to remove these misunderstandings, these wrong ideas. Even when we're talking about prophethood, Muslims will say that no prophet can come. So he is explaining the teachings of the Holy Quran to prove that a prophet can come. And throughout his books, he's always mentioning about what the Holy Quran teaches and explaining what the true meaning of the Holy Quran is so that the Muslims can learn, and others, of course, can learn what is the true meaning of the Holy Quran. But he hasn't brought anything new. There's no need to bring anything new because the Holy Quran is complete. And it's very clear that God has said that this day I have given you Islam as religion. And so, therefore, it's finished. There's no need for any new teachings. And this is what we try to explain to the people against the Promised that he hasn't brought any new teachings. Yes, he's received revelation, as we're talking about, but they were not law revelations. That was something else. That was just God speaking as he speaks to everyone. So this is very important that we must understand that no law-bearing prophet can come. 
So a prophet, we believe, can come, but not bring in any new law, because, as I said, the Holy Quran is complete. Therefore, if a prophet comes now, he has to be subordinate to the Holy Prophet, and he attains his prophethood through his love for Allah, love for the Holy Prophet, love for the Holy Quran. He cannot be independent. Previously, whilst the Jewish prophets followed the Jewish law, they were completely independent of Moses. They didn't need to be following Moses. They were just following the teachings. But now you have to be a Muslim and you have to have that love for the Holy Prophet and emphasizing what his teachings are. And this is what Hazrat Mezaglah Muhammad, may peace be upon him, was trying to do. He was trying to unite all the Muslims and revive Islam back to the true teachings of Islam. Right, so let's continue with the passage. And Hazrat Mezaglah Muhammad, may peace be upon him, has said, There has been many such prophets among the children of Israel, upon whom no book descended. Now, Basil, you mentioned about Jesus and that he was following a book and so on and so forth. So this is now what we've got to think about. That was the Injil, the Gospels, or the Psalms, the Zabur of David, were they containing any laws? These are the two books which are mentioned in the Holy Quran, besides the Torah. The Torah obviously did contain laws, but the Zabur, the Psalms, and the Injil, the Gospels, are also mentioned in the Holy Quran. So, what are these, and do they contain any new laws? Okay, so Basil, you mentioned about this. So, what do you understand is the Gospels? I believed that Gospels are a new law, a new prophet bringing another teaching, and are not based on the previous teachings of a previous prophet. He's just bringing a new law. Yes, I mean, many people, especially Christians, believe this, that he has brought something distinct. And this is what they say, that Christianity is distinct from Judaism. It's nothing to do with Judaism. But actually, if we analyze it, you know, the Gospels are basically the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they narrate the life of Jesus and what Jesus said and taught. But as I said, if you look for any new laws, actually you will not find them. Although Christianity, no doubt, introduced new teachings later on, but that wasn't what Jesus taught. And this is what we try to explain to Christians, that Jesus was actually a Jewish prophet, and he followed the Jewish law. And he never went outside of that Jewish law. That happened later on. Now, when we look at all prophets, of course, as we said earlier, they come to reform the people and guide the people. And that's what they do. They reform and they guide. But they don't normally write any books. Okay, Moses had the Ten Commandments, but he was a law-bearing prophet. But if we turn to, for instance, David or Jesus, they didn't write any books themselves. What happened was that the followers, or later on, that message got written down into books. Even the Holy Prophet. Did the Holy Prophet write the Holy Quran? You're all shaking your heads. He conveyed the message. It was put in writing later on. And so if we look at, as you were mentioning about the Injil, the Gospels, 
then this was actually written much later, after Jesus. We don't even know for sure whether they were Jews or they were followers. Well, we know they were followers of Paul, but we don't know if they were Jewish followers or they were Gentile, non-Jews. But they are the ones that wrote it down much later on. And that is basically what the Gospels are. And then, of course, the New Testament contains much more of the letters of Paul and so on and so forth. So this is what we see with a prophet, that they themselves are not bringing any new law. And they're not teaching any law. And this is why I say with Jesus, he made it very clear. I've not come to break the law. I've come to fulfill the law. So he himself has declared that I've not come to abrogate or change the law at all. But of course, he laid an emphasis of love and forgiveness upon the law. But that love and forgiveness was always there. It was just that it wasn't being emphasized. When we look, for instance, at Moses, he wanted to bring the Jews out of captivity. So he emphasized more on retaliation, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, to make the Jews very strong. Forgiveness and love was there, but he wanted to make them strong so they come to the promised land. But following that emphasis on hardness of retaliation, the Jews became so hard-hearted that they even tried to turn against the prophets and even try to kill the prophets. So when Jesus came, still following the Jewish law, but he emphasized on love and forgiveness. So that's a different thing. That's just emphasizing on a certain aspect of the law. But it's not bringing a new law. He hasn't introduced any new law of love or forgiveness. It was always there. It just wasn't emphasized. So this is what we need to understand. That a prophet, when he comes, he's coming to guide his people, to reform his people. But unless he's a law-bearing prophet, he will not bring any new law. So I hope you understand this. Okay, so the only real difference then is that the Jewish prophets was sent only to the Jews, whereas the Holy Prophet was sent to all mankind. And so obviously that now has to be a law which is for everyone, a law which covers all things for all times, whereas the Jewish law, of course, that was only for that particular time. And maybe, like I say, with a prophet like Jesus, he may have given the emphasis of the need of that particular time that he was in, but he's still following that law, which was a Jewish law. But it's very important that we should read as many of the Promessiah books as possible. And the more that you read these books, the more surer you're going to be in the claim of the Promessiah. And this is why I said, that I often try to say to people who's against the Promessiah, that please, read one of his books. Yes, we know you can get online many allegations, but that doesn't mean that it's true. It's easy to, to take something out of context. And again, for this, I use the example of the Kalama. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. That there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Now, if I want to be cheeky, I can just say the first bit. There is no God. And leave it there. Does that mean what the Kalamur is? Of course not. It's completely different. And give you the opposite meaning. Because I've missed out except Allah. I've just said there's no God. So this is the mischief that sometimes people do. They take bits of what the Promessiah has written without giving the real context of what he was trying to talk about and so on and so forth and just say he said this. 
So this is why you should try to read the books so that you can answer these people. And now, thankfully, there are so many books in English of the Messiah. When I first became Muslim, there was a very few books. But the first book I read, of course, was Philosophy and Teachings of Islam. And that brought me to Islam. It was such a tremendous book. But now there are so many books of his being translated that we can get a good understanding of what the Messiah is teaching. So please do try to read as many books as you can and try to read over and over. The more you read, the more you will understand. Okay, so now let's continue with this passage from Mahfuzat. Hazrat Meza Ghulam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, has continued to say, If I would not be called a prophet, then what other word would differentiate me from others who receive revelations? So here he has posed this idea that if he's not being called a prophet, what else is he? So let's talk about this other bit he's said about revelations. And I you touched on this bit earlier. So again, can you explain to me what is these revelations that we can receive, that anyone can receive? So in terms of revelations, as we know, revelation is something that a person can see through dreams, visions or heavenly signs. And in this case, we've seen that the Prophet Messiah did receive these revelations to show the truthfulness of his coming and the truthfulness of his prophethood. And after that, he did go and claim his prophethood and claim that he is the Imam Mahdi. And as we know that some people can also see dreams and revelations, but not to an extent that they can go out and claim that they are a prophet. These revelations could be dream of seeking the truth of a prophet to seeking the truth of Islam or any other factors and we see that a lot of people in today's day and age are seeing these dreams are seeing revelations that the Prophet Mahdi, who he actually is and when they go out and try to seek it and when they see this they straight away accept that he is the Messiah and of course also I wanted to explain that when it comes to revelations, some people often have false revelations saying, or oh, I saw this, or I did this. But of course, it's just a lot of false claims. And we know that when false claims are involved, and they go and claim and try to spread these false claims, we know it's unsuccessful. It fails. And in the case of the Prophet Messiah, and of course, a lot of people always ask this question and say this question that if the Prophet Messiah, may peace be with him, did have these false revelations, did have these false dreams, then how has the message of Ahmadiyyad spread? Surely this would have been a closed chapter and the message of the Messiah, peace be upon him, would have not spread across the full world. Okay, very good. And obviously if we believe in a living God, then that living God should be speaking to us. And we do receive different ways in which God speaks to us. So revelation is one way, dreams, visions and things like this. And that should be open and it is open to anyone. But as you said, with the Messiah, he received far more. Uh, it's like if you go into a supermarket, sometimes you see these little stalls and they give you a tray with a little bit of food or things like this. And the idea is that you taste a bit 
think, oh, this is nice, and go and buy that product. So it's a taster. And so, again, like you said, some people, they will get these tasters. They will get maybe a dream of the Pomesiah or the Cleafers, and they don't know who this person is. They just see it in their dreams. But then when they see a picture of the Pomesiah or the Cleafers, then they recognize that person. And some people ask that why has the Pomesiah taken pictures when, you know, in Islam they say you should not take photos. But obviously that was in those days, or the time of the Holy Prophet Muhammad, when they were very close to idol worshipping. And so the fear was that if they had a picture or anything like this, they may start using that to worship that person or that picture. Now, of course, same applies to a delay. If you use a picture to worship, <laughs> then, of course, then that's forbidden. But these days, with modern technology, with the camera and things like that, then you've got exact resemblance of that person. Just like when you're looking in a mirror, you see yourself come back. And it's exactly the same. You can't say it's a different image. It shouldn't be a different image if you're looking in the mirror. So the Pomesiah, obviously, he got pictures taken of him for this purpose and only this purpose, not to worship him. No one, God forbid, should ever prostrate themselves before a picture of the Pomesiah or anything like this. It was so that people could see who he is, so that the whole world will be able to see him. Through his books, the whole world can hear him. Through the picture, the whole world can see him. So that, as you said, if there's some people who's seen in a dream, they can recognize who the Pomesai is, or the Cleafers, and so on and so forth. Now, with the revelations, like I say, we need to understand, as I keep emphasizing, it's not laws. But it can be a simple message. Maybe God's just telling you, I love you. Something like this, simple. But it's just a way for God to communicate with us. And this is very important because, as you know, in any conversation that you have, it requires a person talking, a person listening. If you're talking to someone and that person's going to look away in the opposite direction, what's going to happen to the conversation? Obviously, you're going to stop it, aren't you? Because you're showing that person's not interested. But if the person's engaging in you, responding to whatever you're saying, then, of course, you're going to keep going with the conversation. So it's the same with your prayers. When you're praying to God, if God responds to those prayers, you're more likely to carry on doing the prayers. So this has always been the way of God, that he has spoken to people, guided people through dreams, through revelations, sometimes through visions and things like this, which is a waking dream, if you like, so that you can develop that close contact with God. But as the Pomesai is saying here, that the difference, as you mentioned, Hanan, between him and normal Joe Bloggs is the amount of revelations, the amount of visions and dreams that he's been getting. And this is because of his relationship with God. So only when you have that closer relationship with God, where it's coming abundantly, then you can declare yourself to be a prophet. Now, again, if we think about the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace be blessings of Allah be upon him, we say that he received his first revelation at 40. But I'm sure that he had dreams and help and maybe even God speaking to him before that. But at the age of 40, once he had developed and he was ready, then, of course, the angel Gabriel came and gave him the first revelation. But even then, slowly it came. There was a time after the first revelation, before the second revelation, where he, the Holy Prophet, started doubting. What's happened? Why has God left me? It was so long before revelations. 
But as he developed and got closer to God, so these revelations were coming daily, in fact, many times during the day. So the more closer you become to God, the more these are opened up. But we can't say that no one, even a disbeliever, even the worst of person, can still receive revelations, dreams and visions. Because this is the way that God communicates and God wants to guide that person to him. You are listening to Understanding Islam on The Voice of Islam, where we are covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Now, again, you mentioned about the different types of dreams. And of course, not every dream is a godly dream. There's a satanic dreams, they're just fantasies. Or your mind is like a computer going through the day and, and things that you've experienced through that day is being shown in your dreams. So a godly dream, that stands out, it's different. And you know that this is something which is different to your other dreams. Dreams are very, very important and we should never underestimate them. But not all dreams are there giving us a message. Some are, and some, like you say, are just nonsense dreams about something, whatever it is, and it's not from God. But these are all ways which we can experience God. And the simplest way, of course, is when God helps us. And I'm sure all of you has experienced in some way where God has helped you. I mean, Khan, you're doing exams now, and I'm sure that you're praying to God to help you to pass exams. Now, if you pass those exams, I'm sure you will thank God and say this is the blessing of God. Other people may say, well, it's just for your own work. But as a believer, we believe that when we pray to God and that thing happens, we associate it with God. We say, yes, you know, I asked for this thing and it's happened. Whether it was coincidence or what, I don't know is best. But for a believer, we had that strong link with God and we always say that this is God helping us. So with the promised Messiah, as you said rightly, Hanan, so many times God was helping him, which we're going through in this particular series to show all these different ways in which God helped him. So this is what he's saying here, that if I'm not a prophet, I'm receiving all these revelations, all this nearness of God. So what am I? Give me another name then. What other name is there? Can you think of any other name you can call him? You're all shaking your head, but this is radio. You've got to speak out. So this is why he is calling himself a prophet. Now let's move on with this passage from the promised Messiah and what he has been saying. So Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, has continued to say that my belief is that the religion in which there is no prophethood is dead. Now, that's a strange thing to say. Anand, what do you think? Uh, what does he mean here that religion is dead if there is not prophethood? As mentioned before, the reason for a prophet is to guide humanity. And of course, what the Prophet Messiah is trying to say here is that if there is no guidance in a certain religion, then that religion is dead because there's no one to follow someone. And this is what the Prophet is trying to say here is that if there is no leader for a religion and leader-wise talking about prophet, then of course who are the people going to follow? So that is what I believe the Prophet is trying to say. Yes, and this is a very important point to think about because Muslims claim that no prophet can now come. But why? Why don't they want a prophet? Now, 
the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, made this very clear, that he said, I'm going to leave two things behind. And if you follow those things, you will never go astray. So you don't need a prophet because you're never going to go astray. Those two things was A, the Holy Quran, and B, two different hadiths, but one says his sunnah and one says his family. But it means the same basic thing, his teachings. Now, we still have the same Holy Quran today as was in the time of the Holy Prophet. Nothing's changed. And so, therefore, it means that the Muslims are not astray. But is this the case? Can we really say that the Muslims are not astray? When we look at some of the teachings of the Holy Prophet, and I often quote this to Muslims, that the Holy Prophet said that no Muslim should hurt, abuse, or kill other Muslims. But look at the Muslim world today. We're seeing that Muslims are hurting one another. They're abusing. They abuse us. They're abusing each other. And sadly, they're killing each other as well. We're seeing Muslims fighting against Muslims in war. If they're following the Holy Quran and they're not astray, then surely they shouldn't be doing any of these things. This is what we need to understand, that the state of the Muslim world is crying for a prophet. How else are we going to get back on the right track? So we need a prophet to guide us, to reform us, and help us to get back onto the right track. But Muslims don't seem to understand this. They say as if they're proud of it, that no prophet can now come, meaning that we don't need any more guidance, which means that we're not astray. But when we quiz the Muslims, that look around the Muslim world, are you astray? Then they have to admit, yes, there's no unity, and we are doing these bad things against each other. So they should think about this. And this is what he's saying, that if it's a true religion, then prophethood should always be there to revitalize that religion. And that's exactly what he's done. He's come to revitalize the religion of Islam. Again, this is what I try to make it clear to other Muslims, that if prophets could come following the teachings of the Bible, but they can't come following the teachings of the Holy Quran, then which is the greater teachings? The Bible, which can lead you to prophethood, or the Quran, which cannot lead you to prophethood. Of course, it sounds like the Bible has to be the greater teachings. God forbid, no Muslim is going to believe this. But this is what they should understand. That if the Holy Quran is a true teaching, it should be able to raise you from a low person to a saintly being, to even prophethood. This is why we believe that Islam is such a wonderful, beautiful teaching that it can raise anybody up into the heights of prophet. Of course, no one wants to be a prophet. Who, who wants to have that burden? But still, the teaching should be able to help you to rise to a great height. And if there is a need for a prophet, then that prophet should be coming to guide Muslims back to the true teachings and to unite them. And so this is what we are asking for. We, we see the poor state in Islam. We see the lack of unity. We see the lack of guidance. We want to be guided so that we can follow the true teachings properly. So again, from the passage, it continues to say that Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, has said, When I say that the religion of the Jews, Christians and Hindus is dead, I do so for this very reason, that no prophet comes among them now. 
if the condition of Islam were also to be the same, then we too would have been considered storytellers. Now, here he said that we would be considered storytellers. Do you understand what he means by this? The question you asked is what does he mean by storytellers? The reason is that because of the past prophets, those were just previous prophets who came before regarding their own error. And now we're wanting to know about the current situation we're in and knowing that if we continue to tell the past stories of the Prophet Muhammad, may Allah's blessings be upon him, then of course people say, oh, that happened before, we need something now. Hence, that's what he means by that the religion will be dead and we'll be storytellers. Okay, very good. I'm glad you understand that. So, yes, this is what he's saying, that as with the previous religions, Judaism, Christianity, Hinduism, that because no prophet can now come, Jesus came 2,000 years ago. So no prophet has come for 2,000 years. Then you're talking about stories of the past, of Moses, of Abraham. These were stories of the past that's not relevant to people of today. How can I identify with these? They say this is just storytelling. So what he's saying is that if now in Islam also no prophet can come, then the same condition is there. You're talking about the old prophet of 1500 years ago, of the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. But where's the relevance of today? We need a prophet now. We need guidance now. Not 1500 years ago. We need that now. So if we believe in a living God, that Islam is a living religion, that it is for everyone for all time, then there should be someone being sent by God to bring us out of this poor state into a good, healthy state. So now we believe that a prophet can only come as a follower of the Holy Prophet and following the Islamic teachings. This is important. Otherwise, all the other prophets, that door of prophethood is being closed and the door is now only open in Islam. Again, going back to what the Messiah, may peace be upon him, has continued to say, he has said, I have been receiving revelations for years and many signs from Allah the Exalted have testified to the truthfulness of my revelations. This is precisely why I am a prophet. Here, Allah has continuously been showering Hazrat Mazaglam Ahmad, may peace be upon him, with his signs and help. And so therefore, this is why he's claiming to be a prophet. So the question I will put uh, again to you, Hannah, that how do these signs prove that there is a living God? How do you think that seeing signs from Allah, from the one God, proves that he is still alive? Seeing these dreams, revelations and signs is a clear sign that God is showering his love and mercy upon that person and hence in this situation this is the love that God is showing towards the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Yes, and so thereby proving that it's a living God, it's a living religion, that God is still here and God is still showing his signs and supporting his prophet with all these signs and his help. And so this is why he's claiming that he is a prophet, because of the abundant signs and help that he's receiving. Again, continuing with the passage, Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmad, 
may peace be upon him, has then gone on to say, there should not be any form of concealment in conveying the message of Allah. Here he's saying that God, he believes, has made him a prophet. He's claimed to be a prophet. Now, should he tell people this or should he hide it? Should he conceal the fact that he is a prophet? So what do you think? Is this right that he did declare that he's a prophet or should he have hid the fact that he's a prophet and kept quiet? So, of course, the right way was to actually convey the message that he is a prophet as how the Prophet of Islam did, uh, may the blessings of Allah be upon him, that once he received his revelations at the age of 40, he did not hide this. Yes, there is a bit of confusion on what is going on, but soon more signs are bestowed upon that person and that makes it right for that person to actually go and convey that message. And yes, there is a lot of hardship as well when conveying the message, but a person should not hide this, as of course, hiding something is a sign of breaking that love and relationship towards Allah that He has blessed you with. Okay, I'm very pleased that you brought in the Holy Prophet, and that's a good example to use. That when he was first told he's a prophet, he didn't want to convey the message. He was very happy just going to the cave, worshipping God, and not interact. Why interact? In fact, when he received his first revelation, he was warned that people were going to turn against you. And he said, why would my people turn against me? And his cousin said, look, this has always been a way that when a prophet comes, he declares that he's a prophet. The people don't want to hear this. And so they turn against him. So this is always the way. No one wants to be a prophet. Why you want that heavy burdenship of being a prophet where people are going to turn against you? And again, when we look at Hazrat Mezaglam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, what happened? As soon as he declared to be a prophet, then everyone turned against him. Before that, they looked at him as a champion in Islam and praised him that he was such a pious person, such a godly person, such a champion in debate and everything like this. But as soon as he declared that he was a prophet, those very same people turned against him. This is something which obviously no one wants to declare they're a prophet. But the Holy Quran is again very, very clear that addressing the Holy Prophet is saying that your duty is only to convey the message. It's not to force people to become Muslims or force people to set the message, but you need to convey that message. You can only convey that message by speaking out that this is who I am, I'm a prophet from God. So the same with Hazrat Mazaklam Ahmed, may peace be upon him, that he had to tell people because God commanded him that you are a prophet, you convey the message. And so we should be very thankful to Allah that he has sent in this age another prophet who has guided us and united all the Muslims and then unites all the religions so that Islam can prevail over all religions. Alhamdulillah, all praise belongs to Allah, Lord of all the worlds. So this finishes this passage and we will do more signs and help of Allah in future programs, God willing. So I'd like to thank all the listeners. I hope that you've understood what we're saying and you enjoyed hearing our point of view. And I'd like to thank you youngsters coming today and uh, I know maybe some of this was maybe a bit over your head 
But I hope that you have understood everything that uh, the Messiah has said in this passage and understood why he's claiming be a prophet. So with that, I'd like to say As-salamu wa rahmatullahi wa May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Thank you so much for having me. And I must say that it was a very enlightening evening for me. And I learned a lot from you, Rabbi Sahib, and my fellow brothers, Hanan and Igan. So thank you so much. Jazakallah, Rabbi Sahib, and Jazakallah for Ikan and Basil. And yes, it was a great discussion, a great topic to talk about. I learned a lot of things, and I cannot wait for the next program. Jazakallah. You have been listening to Understanding Islam on the Voice of Islam, and today we have been covering the signs and help of Allah for the promised Messiah, peace be upon him.